Can we stand to our feet and welcome Seth? Come on. Love you. Thanks, mate. Thank you. I always love hearing stories like that because sometimes you preach and things blow up and sometimes you preach and you're like, I just have no idea what happened. And it's good to hear stories like, oh, people's lives getting changed. Um, I'm going to show you a couple things. <clears throat> I had a whole sermon. I have I've, I had a whole message that then I got, I was about to leave the house to come here and I had to change my whole message. And so, yeah, we're going to talk about some fun stuff today. Part of what I'm going to talk about, I have a sermon back there called Living Worry-Free. So I'm going to share a form of this message. I never really preached the same message twice. I just, they'll be similar but different. But this one is called Living Worry-Free. I'll tell you the whole story behind that. And these are back there on the table. And then I have another one back there called Releasing Arrows. This one's really important to me because um, Psalm 127, 3 and 4 says, Children are like arrows in the hands of a warrior, and blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. And I've spent 17 years as a pastor uh, working with children all around the world in New York and Reading and then traveling and speaking and um, helping children's ministries, helping parents and stuff. And I realized something. If children are like arrows, most children's ministries and most homes are really good at making quivers. But arrows in the quivers are the same as having no arrows at all. Arrows aren't made for the quiver, they're made for the bow. And if we learn to get the arrows out of the quiver and into the bow and release them into the enemy territory, arrows can do something no other weapon can because arrows are the long-range weapon of the spirit realm. And we know about the sword of the spirit, our weapon, you know, because of Ephesians and the armor of God. But most of us think the only weapon we have is the sword of the spirit. And so we wait until the enemy gets real close to us before we actually engage. When he's been shooting fiery darts, flaming arrows at us for a really long time. But what we've got to understand is that we have arrows too. They're called our kids. And if we don't learn how to work together with our kids and release children into enemy territory, into darkness, into scary places, straight at the enemy, we'll limit our ability to fight and win. Because we don't have to engage in hand-to-hand -hand combat if we get good at shooting arrows. If we get good at working with children, the battle will change completely and we'll need, we'll need our swords a lot less. So that one's called Releasing Arrows. It's back there. It's really good. Here, Lee, will you give those to somebody? Yeah, just now find somebody. <laughs> so I love children. I've worked with children for a very long time. And I have three children. I love them. I told everybody all about it yesterday, so I'm not going to tell you again. But another thing I want to show you back there, actually four kids, is called God is Really Good, this book right here. It is, um, the publisher called me and said, we want to do a children's version of Bill Johnson's book, God is Good. Can you take that book and turn it into a 36-page children's book? And I thought, guys... 
you you've published a lot of Bill Johnson's books. I could take one of his sentences and turn it into a 36-page children's book. But you want me to take a whole book and turn it into 36 pages? I don't know. And the Lord told me, he said, sign the contract, I'll give you the story. So I signed the contract. Two days, three days later, I have a dream um, about the, a lily and a sparrow. And it's from, it's from Matthew chapter 6. Here's what it says. This is Matthew 6. 26 Jesus says look at the birds of the air they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns yet your heavenly father feeds them are you not of more value than they which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature another way to say that is can become more mature who of you by worrying can become more mature. Now, there's a massive problem on the planet today, and it's that children, children don't worry, and children laugh a lot. And then we get older, and we start to worry more and laugh less. In, in America, the average child laughs 400 times a day, and the average adult laughs 12. And Jesus said, if you want to enter the kingdom, you need to change and become like little children. Part of changing and becoming like little children is worrying less and laughing more. Sometimes repentance looks like you just laugh more. You smile more. You're not as concerned about things. But we think maturity is when you're mature, you, you worry. When you mature, you get serious. When you mature, you... You're overwhelmed with all the crazy things happening in the world or happening in your life. That's what we think is maturity. But worry is only mature to the kingdom of darkness. Mat true maturity in the kingdom of God is actually less worry. Then he says, why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So this whole passage, Jesus says three times, don't worry. Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. Hey, why do you worry? What are you so worried about? He just keeps saying it over and over and over. And when I had this dream about this book, I had the dream about the lily and the sparrow. And in this book, that, that, like I woke up from the dream and I started writing it down. And then I would read it to my kids and we'd make adjustments. And so my kids and I wrote the book together. But in the, in the story, um, Sparrow wakes up, leaves the nest, and goes to his friend Squirrel. And Squirrel's like, I can't find any acorns anywhere in the whole entire forest. I'm running out of acorns. Winter is coming. Oh, no, what am I going to do? There's no acorns anywhere. I have to figure out what to do. And Sparrow's like, I want to help you. So Sparrow goes to animal after animal after animal after animal, trying to figure out who can help him leave the forest to go find acorns in a different forest because there's none in theirs, right? And... Everyone has their own issues. Everyone has their own problems. And all the animals cannot help him. And Sparrow's getting more and more worried, more and more concerned, because all, he's discovering all the bad things that are happening in the forest. And he's so worried. And then he flies over and he lands on a fence. 
which is a super prophetic picture. He's on the fence because he's seen all the bad things happening in the forest and he lands on the fence and he's kind of riding the fence of is if bad things are, if so many bad things are happening in the forest is God really good? And he's on the fence trying to figure out is God good with all the bad stuff happening or is God bad? And that's what he's wondering. And he realizes the fence is right next to Lily's garden. And he sees Lily and he goes to tell and he goes and talks to her and tells her all the problems in the forest. He just unloads all the problems that every animal's having. And Lily is totally unfazed. She's just completely like lighthearted. And he's a little bit messed up because she's not. And she gets to this point, they, they have this little conversation, and Lily goes, can I ask you a question, Sparrow? What kind of tree does squirrel live in? And he says, an oak tree. She says, well, where do acorns come from? Oak trees. And he realizes, oh, winter's coming. And acorns drop from oak trees right before winter, in the fall, in the autumn. In other words, Squirrel thinks he has this major problem not able to find acorns when the tree he lives in has his problem solved before he even realizes there was a problem. And sometimes we run around trying to solve all these problems not realizing there is a tree that solved every problem we had before we even knew we had a problem. So I love this book because this book wrecks me. Parents write me often, and they're like, I read this to my kids, but it's really good for me because I'm learning not to, not to worry and not to wonder if God's really good, even though there's a lot of bad stuff happening. The gospel is such a beautiful message because the gospel is basically bad news can become good news, and the worse it is, the better it can become. You guys hear? So... That's the story of God is really good, and I'm just going to teach on that a little bit because we were singing that song, um, It's Your Breath in My Lungs, so I pour out my praise, I pour out my praise. And the word in Hebrew, one of the words for Hebrew, one of the words in Hebrew for rest means to draw breath. So to take a deep breath, to breathe in, to inhale, to draw breath is a Hebrew word for rest. And we're singing, it's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise. It's, it's our ability to rest that causes us to praise God. It's his breath in us. It's his rest towards us, inside of us, that causes us to praise him. Now, I had a season not too long ago. It's funny, I walked in here. And we were having a conversation about California, Southern California, and the fires that came through. And s six months ago, we moved. But s eight months ago, we, I think it was eight or nine months ago, this fire started sort of near our house, but it was still a few miles away. It was called the Wolsey Fire. And so it starts like, like our house is here, the ocean is down here, and this fire starts, and we're just kind of keeping an eye on it because the winds are really strong, and it's getting bigger and bigger, and so we're starting to plan because our friends in Reading had gone through a fire uh, the year before, and so they, they told us, like, just pack up all your really important stuff so you have it ready, have it in bins and things, so if the fire does come, you can throw all your important stuff in and leave, and you still have your important stuff, and so we had all this stuff ready. Well, 
the fire is getting closer and closer, and we're like, we, our family is weird. We have three children. We have one horse, a very large horse. We have one cow, but at the time we had two cows, so we had one horse, two cows. We had three dogs, very large dogs, all mastiffs, so they're all over 100 pounds. They're all big. So we have three children, one horse, two cows, and three dogs, and this fire is coming, and so we have to, like, hook up the horse trailer just in case. Now, our horse trailer only holds two horses, so you put one horse in and the next horse, but we have a horse, a cow, a cow, three large dogs, and, and three children that we have to get out, and so we're just getting ready, and all of a sudden, two o'clock comes, and we get this phone call, and it's like, hey, the fire just jumped the freeway, it's coming, everybody get out as fast as you can. So we go outside at two in the morning, we already had our important stuff in there, but now we have to load up animals. So we shove the horse in, we shove the cow in, we shove the other cow in, we shove one dog, we put this little thing up and shove the dog in there, we open up the back of the car and put two dogs in there, so we have this horse trailer, it is so loaded down. I can only drive like 30 miles an hour. It's crazy. And it's now 3 o'clock in the morning. We wake up the kids. We tell them we're going to go on an adventure. We get all the kids in the car, and we're about to leave. And the neighbor shows up and goes, I have two miniature horses. Can we shove them in your horse trailer? We're like, okay. So we drive down the road, and her, she's like, our neighbor, it's funny. They're very wealthy, so they have a bodyguard that lives there, and so they have this huge bodyguard. I mean, he is a monster. And so me and this guy, his name is Chance, we are grabbing these miniature horses. You know, they're like this tall. They're not a full-size horse. We're like grabbing them and trying to push them in to the little tack room where there's, you know, you're supposed to have the saddle and stuff. And we have all our important documents. And we just shove these horses in. We lift them up and shove them in. And so now we have... One horse, two cows, three dogs, and two miniature horses in this thing. And we're driving away at 3 in the morning in Los Angeles trying to figure out where we're going to go. And long story short, we, we end up out of our house for 31 days. So we're not just hauling three kids around L.A. trying to figure out where we're going to stay. We have all this. We have a whole zoo, basically, that we're trying to figure out for 31 days where they're going to stay. It was crazy. But the community just came around and helped, and so it actually worked really good. But we, we just hauled all these animals all over the place, and we lived in an Airbnb for two weeks. We lived in a friend's house for a week. We lived in a hotel for three nights. We lived in another friend's house for a week. It was wild. Like, we just had this wild adventure. And then we get home, and we have to decide, are we going to re-sign our lease because our house didn't burn down. Ten of our neighbors' homes burned down. Like The fire burned all the way to our house, turned around, and went the other direction. And the firemen were there. And the firemen said, quote, You should have heard the sound of the fire. It was demonic. It came down the hill, like roaring, screeching. I don't know what it sounded like because I wasn't there. Hallelujah. And it burns, burns down right to the house, turns around, and goes away. It's like melting cars. But 10 homes on our street burned down. And so all these people, it's, it's, you know, if you saw the pictures, like all the people, had, all the wealthy people in Malibu had taken their horses to the beach and tied up the horses to the, uh, the lifeguard little stands. So there's 
like so many celebrities' homes burned down, all these people. So everyone, there's a lot of people looking for homes. There's a lot of people trying to rent homes. There's a lot of people without homes. And the people who are renting homes, because they know, oh, insurance is just going to write checks for homes. Like I was telling our friend over here, like my friend's found a, home, a rental house for $18,000 a month. And the insurance company wrote them a check for two years of rent and handed it to them. And they just rented a house for two years while they get theirs rebuilt. I'm like, oh my goodness, these are crazy numbers. And so we, we're back, we get back in the house and we're like, we're asking the Lord, should we sign our lease? He's like, no. I told you this was a one-year house. Don't sign the lease. I'm like, Lord, it's not a good time to move. Um, all the people who are renting homes are jacking the prices up because insurance is paying for homes. So they know now's our chance to raise the prices because insurance is just going to write checks, right? And all the people who are renting homes, they're just getting rented really fast because all these people, there's home, their homes have burnt down. So we're like... Lord, this is the worst time for us to not sign a lease and go try to find a new house. And so we're searching and searching. And long story short, it comes down to the last day where we have fully moved out of our home. We had a 26-foot U-Haul fully loaded. We had all our animals ready to go. We had, like, we moved out of our house and we had nowhere to go because the landlord that we applied for the house, we're trying to get this house, we, we applied for it. And they keep telling us, like, you know, we really like your family, but the dogs make us nervous. You have three large dogs. We don't know if we want to have those dogs in the yard and in the house and all this stuff. So we're like, oh, gosh, Lord, we need this house. Like, we've already moved out. We're like, got this truck. So our options become either they call us today and tell us we got the house and we're going to drive the truck over and unload it in the house or they call us and tell us we didn't get the house and we're going to drive to a storage unit and unload everything in the storage unit and then just start over and go to a hotel or something because I had to return the truck that day. You know, I rented a truck and loaded it up. And so it's coming down to like the last three hours of either they call us in the next three hours or we're going to live in a storage unit. Or we're going to put our stuff in a storage unit. And I, all of a sudden, like, I'm one of those guys, I've been a pastor for a long time. I, for 17 years, I've been a pastor. And the last time I think I had a nervous breakdown was when I was addicted to drugs. Like, I was addicted to coke and meth and acid and mushrooms and ecstasy and marijuana and cigarettes and alcohol and pornography and all of it all at the same time. And it was really bad, really unhealthy, really horrible. And I used to have nervous breakdowns, mental breakdowns. Like, I was, I was not good up here for a long time because I was on drugs. But ever since I got saved 18 years ago, like I've done a pretty good job not being stressed out, not being anxious. Like I've actually done pretty well. And I haven't had a lot of mental problems, not tons, some, but not tons. But all of a sudden it's this, we're driving, trying to figure out what we're gonna do. Like, are we gonna move into a storage unit? Are we gonna get the house? We have no idea what we're gonna do. And I start to not do well up here. And I'm telling my wife, I'm like, I'm not doing good. Like, and I'm thinking inside, I feel like I'm about to, something's about to snap in my head. And I'm really not doing good. And I haven't felt like this for 18 years. Like, the last time I felt like this, I had good reason to feel like this. All the drugs. Now I'm like, oh gosh. And I'm telling my wife, I'm at the verge of like, I think you may need to take me to the hospital. Like, I'm not mentally doing well. And I... 
I'm kind of freaking out, and she's, my wife is like, look, let's just go get lunch. We're just going to go get lunch, and we're just going to eat food and see what happens. I'm like, all right, whatever. You know how, like, sometimes when you're really stressed out and you're really worried and you're not doing good up here, like, people can tell you what you need to hear, and you can't hear it or you can't receive it? I was kind of like that. I was like, whatever. Let's just go eat. She's like, let's just go eat. We're going to see. I'm like, you know, you get kind of mad at people who you shouldn't be mad at. I was kind of mad. And so we go to eat lunch, and we're sitting there, and my friends text me because they helped me load the truck. I know it's a long story. I'm just trying to give you some context for what I'm going to talk about in a second. And they text me, and they say, what's happening? Did you get the house? I'm like, no, we haven't heard anything. There's no news, and they say, all right, we're going to pray right now. We're all going to pray. There's like four guys. They're like, we're going to pray right now that this house comes through, and they call you in the next few minutes. I'm like, okay. And I was kind of, again, like, okay, whatever. Like, oh, I'm grumpy. And, and I feel like I could go to the hospital because my head is not doing good. And um, the same time, with, with about a minute later, they start to pray, and a minute later, my other friend texts me, and she goes, I just felt something change in the spirit. Get ready for a phone call. Get ready for something to change. I just felt it in the spirit. So I got some friends that are praying, and then another friend who, like, she's so prophetic. She's ridiculously prophetic. She's the most scary prophetic person I've ever met in my whole life. It's awesome and scary all at the same time. And so she, you know, my friends are like, we're praying. And then she texts and goes, something just changed in the spirit. Get ready. And I'm like, okay. And within a minute, we get an email from the, land, from the landlord that says, you got the house. So we're eating lunch. I'm all stressed out. I'm all worried. My friends start praying. My other friend feels it shift in the spirit. And then all of a sudden, we get an email. And so me and my wife, we finish our lunch, and we walk over to the bank. We get a cashier's check. We drive over to the house, and we move in in just enough time to take the truck back and put it in the thing, I'm like, oh my goodness. But in the middle of all that, I realized like, oh gosh, I was more worried. I, I don't know, like for some reason, being homeless with three kids, a horse, two cows, three dogs, just was, I was not doing well. And I was really worried. And I remember in the middle of it, watching my three-year-old son. We have a three-year-old, six-year-old, and nine-year-old. I was watching my three-year-old son, and it's kind of like this picture over here. My son is like totally not worried, totally not concerned. He just trusts his dad. He trusts his mom. He just trusts. Like He doesn't even know the fire has done what it's done. You know what I mean? Like He just knows we woke him up at two in the morning and said we're going on an adventure. Let's go. And he's been staying at all these fun houses and doing all this stuff. And he loves it. And he has absolutely no worry. I'm like, man, Lord, I'm all grown up and I'm all worried to the point of a nervous breakdown, to the point of a panic attack, to the point of freaking out, need to get checked in the hospital, all because I've allowed worry to overwhelm my trust for God. Are you with me? And I've allowed worry to fully overtake my head. And my kid, he's like, doesn't even care. He's like, he's like Lily in the book, like the little flower, doesn't even care. Like, I know there's a lot of problems, but God's got it. He's already solved the problem before we even realized there was a problem. And so what I'm going to talk about today comes out of this story because God just started teaching me. Like, I already knew about not worrying. I already knew this was in the Bible. 
I already knew it was important to not worry, but then this happened, and because I was on the verge of going to the hospital, like, the Lord started to teach me about really not worrying. The word worry in the English language comes from an old English word, weirgam, and here's what it means, to strangle. So worry, what worry actually is, is it tries to strangle us. Now, I don't know if you know this, but if you get strangled, you can't breathe. It's your breath in our lungs. Worry actually strangles God's breath in our lives. And because breath in the Hebrew and the Greek is the same word for spirit, worry actually blocks us from... from receiving what the Holy Spirit's trying to do. Think about it. When God made Adam, he, what did he do? <sighs> he breathed into him and turned him into a living being. Worry, if breath gives us life, worry tries to kill us. There's an old prophet named Bob Jones, and he used to say, you need to repent for worry. The sin of worry. He called it sin. Like, oh my gosh. Why? Because worry means we're not trusting. The word worry means to strangle. The original English version means to strangle. I was just in this church a few months ago in Washington, in America, and we were, I, I preached on joy so I wasn't talking about what I'm talking about now but I I taught on joy and there was a girl in the audience that I had no idea what was going on but apparently for months and months and months she just hadn't been herself and she's struggling with depression she's struggling with all these thoughts and there's like she said that there was like this dark cloud that had sort of just sat on her like just landed on her and she's kind of walking around with this dark cloud overhead for months. And even the pastor told me, like, this girl just hasn't been herself. She worked with the pastors. She was, like, on one of their teams and doing all this stuff. But she just wasn't herself, couldn't be herself. And she comes through. At the end of the message, we did a fire tunnel where, you know, people walk through and you just kind of pray for everyone real, real quick. Well, she comes through, and we're just praying for her, and all we're doing is releasing joy. And somewhere in the tunnel, God hits her, and she goes down, And I saw her go down, and I didn't know what was happening, but I just kind of, like, went after her. I don't know if you know this. Like, I don't know if you've ever been in a fire tunnel that's been kind of crazy, but when there's crazy ones and people fall down, sometimes I just really go on. Like, I go after them. And so I'm, like, grabbing her ponytail, messing up her hair, like, just just making sure God is really on her really good. (laughs) You know, like... What's interesting is like what Justin says, like um, how Lee interrupted the service kind of and tried to do it quietly and politely. She's trying to interrupt the service because um, she was a pastor's kid, but she wanted to do it all decent and in order and proper and make sure she wasn't interrupting too much. But what's interesting is it's super uncomfortable for us to do stuff like that. But how many of you know if the Holy Spirit's name is the comforter, then the only reason you would ever need him in your life is to get uncomfortable. Most of the church has made themselves so comfortable, they've eliminated all need for the Holy Spirit. Because we want to just be comfy, snuggly. We want to have everything just right. 
just so perfect. We don't want anything to mess up our perfect little controlled environment that we've designed, that we've created, that we've worked so hard for, that we've spent our whole entire lives creating a super comfortable world. We don't realize we have no room left for Holy Spirit. And so she goes down, and I'm just making sure that the Holy Spirit gets really on her. So I'm making sure she gets really uncomfortable in the fire tunnel, so I'm messing up her hair on purpose. I love fire tunnels. I love to grab ladies' hair and just like, and just, and just like, and the girls that have buns, I love buns on the top of the head. I absolutely love buns. I wish there was a bun here. I love buns because sometimes I grab their buns and I'm like, no, I like do like a, like a gear shift. I know you're not used to this. It's okay. Just, just put me in the category of children's pastor because I work with kids. So I have permission to do a little bit more fun stuff. I know it's not the typical, like, let me pray for you all serious and, and everything. But like, so I grab it like a gear shift. I'm like, God's shifting gears. Wah, 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 pushing the clutch. Wah, wah. And you'd be surprised what happens to people when someone prays for them and it makes them a little bit uncomfortable. All of a sudden they have room for the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, someone forced them to get a little bit uncomfortable. And then the Holy Spirit goes, ah, now I can come to you. Here I am, ready to comfort you because you just got uncomfortable. So I'm on this girl, like rubbing her head, messing up her hair. She gets out of the, she crawls out of the fire tunnel. She goes back in. She comes through again. I saw her. It was like I could see her. And I was like, oh, yeah. And I just get her again. And I'm really, really messing with her this time. And she's on the ground. And she come, she crawls out. And she goes through the fire tunnel like several times. And it is just awesome. And she says, you know what I realized? She told her pastors this. And then they told me. She said, you know what I realized is... I've had this whole thing my whole life that I, people don't see me. I don't feel seen. And every time I would go through the fire tunnel, Seth would like get on me and like rub my hair. And it was like he would speak right to me and he saw me. And it was like the first time. And she goes, and he wasn't just a person in the prayer line. He was the pastor that spoke. He was the guest speaker that spoke. And he's seeing me. And he's praying for me over and over and over again. And for her, all of a sudden, for like the first time in many, many years, someone finally saw her. And all of a sudden, she says, I came out of the fire tunnel and this dark cloud had lifted. And she's like, I feel like myself again. And this thing that had been haunting her, tormenting her, sitting over her head for months and months and months, all of a sudden it's gone. And this morning I woke up and I felt like the Lord said, I want to deliver people from anxiety. Like this, sometimes, sometimes we need to process through stuff and figure out what's going on and actually get counsel and get help. And we need to sit with someone. We need to tell them what's going on. We need to hear their perspective. And other times God goes, no, I'm just going to deliver you. I'm just going to lift the cloud. I'm just going to blow my wind, my spirit. I'm just, I'm just going to breathe, and the dark cloud is going to move out. The fire's raging. I'm just going to blow my wind and turn it a different direction so the fire doesn't burn you down. Are you here? This is kind of important. The last time I checked, Australia had, what is it, six people commit suicide every single day. I don't know if you know this, but you got a lot of worried, anxious, stressed out people in your country. So do we. 
mental health is kind of an important deal. Dark clouds sitting over people's heads are kind of a bad deal. And sometimes that dark cloud, we just try to make ourselves more comfortable, more proper, more deep. We just try to do more things right and control more stuff because the dark cloud makes us think that we can actually control stuff. And so we start to control more and we start to get everything. And it's like, man, the more we let that dark cloud make us control everything and make everything comfortable, the more we let that dark cloud keep the Holy Spirit away. Are you here? Sorry, I'm like... This is important. I felt like I was going to lose my mind. I felt like I was going to lose it. I'm trying to tell my wife, you, you might need to take me to the hospital and check me in. And I might need whatever, antidepressants. I might need medicine. I might need something. And the Lord's like, can I teach you about worry? It's all in the Bible. I'm like, okay, you can teach me. So one of the most important verses about worry in the Bible is in First Peter. This is First Peter chapter 5. Here's what it says. We're going to start in verse 5. It says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's really scary. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That means there are people in society that God actually resists. And it shouldn't be anyone in the church. Are you here? God resists the proud, like, but gives grace to the humble. All of us want to be people that receive grace. Then it says this, therefore, because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Everybody say, humble yourselves. So he says, hey, God wants to give you grace when you're humble. So, humble yourselves. Then he tells us how to humble ourselves. Here's what he says. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. That means it's actually possible for us to live absolutely carefree. He's saying, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. He's saying it's possible for us to live totally carefree. It's possible for us to live completely anxiety-free. That's what this means. Cast all your anxieties on him. Cast all your worries on him. Cast all your cares upon him. Why? He cares for you. Here's what that means. If I have any worry in my life, Somewhere, I don't know how cared for I am. Casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. If I'm worried, I don't know I'm cared for. If I'm stressed, I don't know I'm loved. If I let anxiety decide how I see things, I can't see how loved I am. This is important. Sometimes I preach on the love of God and people are like, why are you going to preach on God's love? Isn't that kindergarten stuff? I'm like, yeah. But if you forget what you learn in kindergarten when you're a grown-up, you're going to be really messed up. Because if you forget 2 plus 2 equals 4, and then you become an accountant and you're managing billions of dollars, you better remember what you learned in kindergarten. 
Otherwise, those billions are going to disappear, and you're fired. You know what I'm saying? It's like as Christians, sometimes we're like, oh, I want to move on to a more uh, important or more, I want to move on from the elementary love of God, the kindergarten love of God. I want to move on from that. Can you preach about something all like, like, yeah, we could. But if you forget this, like this is crazy. If we forget we're cared for, we start carrying around anxiety. And if we carry around anxiety, we're not humbling ourselves. And if we're not humbling ourselves, God's resisting us. Come on, there's so many people that are like, God, why don't you, why don't you, come through when I pray? Why do I feel like there's a ceiling over my head? Why do I pray and I feel like you can't hear me? It's like, oh, because I'm holding on to all the things I'm supposed to be actually giving to you. What's crazy to me is Psalm 46.10. It says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that he is God. You know what happens when we're not still? We start thinking we're God. We would never say that out loud. We would never say, I'm playing God. But if I'm not still, I'm playing God. If I don't have peace, I'm playing God in my life. I'm living my life in such a way that I don't have a God. I am the God. Does that make sense? It's only when I'm still, when I'm like, oh, I've, gotten, I've actually released all this stuff that I'm nervous about, worried about, concerned about, I've actually got rid of it, and now I'm totally still. And that, that's how you know, oh, yeah, I'm not the Lord. Hallelujah. Then it says this. This is such a crazy portion of Scripture. I feel like I'll never leave this my whole life. Now, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion. This is so funny to me, because usually we think of sobriety as all serious and like, oh, man, you're sober, raw. And if you're drunk, you're like kind of wild and carefree, and you know what I mean? Like, that's why people drink. They drink alcohol because they're trying to get rid of all their stress and all their worries and all their cares. And, you know, a couple beers, a couple glasses of wine, you're like, woohoo, I feel good. And we're like, oh, yeah, look at him. He's a little bit tipsy. It's like, no, according to the kingdom... Carefree is actually sober. This is sober in the kingdom. Serious is drunk on worry. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Look, this is so crazy to me. If there are people the devil may devour, that means there are also people the devil may not devour. Here's what it says. Be sober, be vigilant. Let's just read the whole thing. Look, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him. So the devil's going about. He's like, who can I devour? Their li- I want to devour lives. I, wanna de- I just want to fully destroy your life. And he's walking around looking for people he can devour. But there's people he comes up to and he's like, can I, can I devour your life? Oh, I can't devour his life 
because he refuses to worry. When we resist worry, we resist the devil. He's prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking people he may devour. Resist him. How do you resist the devil from devouring your life? You resist worry. And so the devil goes about, and he sees Justin, and he sees Lee. He's like, well, better move on to a different family. Can't devour them because they won't worry. They won't play God. The only people he can really devour are the ones that play God. The ones that try to handle all the stuff only God can handle. Are you with me? Now I have a whole lot more verses I wanted to share with you, but we can't. We have no time for that. So I'm going to just tell you. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, it starts out like this. In the New Living Translation, I believe, it says, Do not worry about anything. But instead, pray about everything. You know what that means? It's also possible to live without worrying about anything. If God says, don't worry about anything, that means it's possible. If God says, cast all your cares upon him, he cares for you, that means it's possible to live carefree. It's absolutely possible for us to live worry-free, carefree, and not worry about anything at all. One of the most interesting places in the Bible for me is when they're at the Last Supper. Jesus and the disciples are there, and, um, you know, Jesus is like, all of a sudden he's like, grabs a towel, gets a little wash basin or whatever, and he starts going around, and he wants to wash the disciples' feet. And Peter's like, no, can't wash my feet. You remember that whole interaction where Jesus is like, he just wants to wash their feet. And I thought, man, that is such a weird deal. Like, why does Jesus want to wash people's feet? And we know it's like, okay, if I wash your feet, I wash off everything you've just been through. Whatever you've just walked through, I'm washing it off. Whatever you've just gone through, I'm washing off. Whatever's trying to stick with you from the last season, I'm taking it off of your feet so you don't smell like the last season. Your feet don't look like the last season. You, you have nothing on your feet. And I thought, that's, that's powerful. And then God showed me, you know, when he cursed the devil, he said, he, he cursed the devil to crawl on his belly and eat dust all the days of his life. The actual curse on the devil from the Garden of Eden is to eat dust all the days of his life. And thousands and thousands and thousands of years later, the same God who cursed the devil to eat dust steps into time, steps into humanity, and starts washing dust off people's feet that, he, that, he, yeah. that will let him. And he's like, and Peter's like, no, don't wash my feet. And he's like, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. He takes it pretty serious. He's like, if you don't let me wash your feet, this is a big deal. If you don't let me wash off your last season, your last phase, your last journey, whatever that was, if you don't let me wash off where you've been, you have no part in me and where we're going. And if you don't let me get the dust off your feet, someone has something to, to chew on. Come on, if the devil comes up to your feet and he's like, dang, your feet are so clean, I have nothing to eat. I'm going to leave. I can't find my nourishment from your life because you have no dust from your past seasons. There are way too many Christians that go through their whole dang life and they have never let Jesus wash their feet and they have never got any of the dust off and they still have all the dust from 80 years ago. 
It's like, you're, you've been a Christian this whole time, and you've never let him wash out. You have caked on dust from season after season after season after season. Relationship after relationship, friend after friend, school after teacher after pastor after church after leaders after whatever. Come on, there's this one saying, it's like, no, everywhere you go, there you are. Like, sometimes we just try to jump from church to church to get, try to figure something else like, oh, man, you better let him wash the dust off. If we don't let him wash the dust off, we don't realize, but everywhere we go, we end up bringing the last season with us. Like, why does this place smell like the same one I just came out of? Oh, it's me. Oh, it's my feet. Why does this feel like the same relationship I had before? Why do I find myself in the same kind of relationship I've been in? Well, I've had four of those relationships. They're all traumatic, all horrible. Why did I find myself in another one? Are you here? I'm not trying to be, I'm not upset. I'm not mean. I'm trying to give us good news. Jesus wants to wash our feet so clean that we don't bring anything from the past with us and the devil will slither up and go, dang it, those feet are clean. Dang it, I can't devour their life. Dang it, I can't destroy anything about them because they refuse to worry and they let Jesus wash off all the stuff from before and they have nothing to worry about, nothing to care about. They have no anxiety. They're not playing God. They're just letting him wash their feet and I can't do anything about them. I have to go to somebody else and see if they'll let me devour them. Are you here? So, perfect timing. This is random. I'm just going to ask it. I don't even know if this is an Australian name. Is there anyone here named Gladys? No. I just had to go for it. I felt like the Lord said Gladys. So maybe it's for someone tonight. I don't know. Is there anyone here named Gladys? Your middle name is Gladys? Okay, good. Will you stand up? What's your first name? What is it? Mary Jo? Mary Jo Gladys. I'm just going to come pray for you. <laughs> is that okay? Will you guys just aim your hands at her? Thanks, God, for Mary Jo. When I hear your name, Mary Jo, I hear Mary and Joseph in the same, in the same name. And I feel like there's something on your life that is supposed to give birth, supposed to bring forth some, a move of God like the world has never seen. Mary and Joseph brought forth a move of God the world had never seen. It had been prophesied for thousands of years, and finally it showed up. And your name, Mary Jo, is a combination of both those names. And you are a person that's here to give birth to something, to bring something to the earth that the world has never seen before. And God, we pray this for Mary Jo, that she would bring forth everything that you've put inside her, she'd bring forth something on earth that the world has never seen.
you just stay right here for a second. And when I, when we were trying to find our house and it was getting all crazy and it was horrible and I was about to lose it, I told my wife, I said, I feel like Mary and Joseph and I sh I'm trying to find an inn and the inn just told me there is no room and we're over here like we're about to have a baby and there's no room in the inn and we got to figure out what we're going to do and there's nowhere to go, nowhere to do, nowhere to have this baby. And I was like, I told my wife, I feel like Mary and Joseph, we have nowhere to go and we don't know what we're going to do. And I felt so much disappointment in, in, in all of the expectations that I had. And I feel like what God is doing with you is he is removing disappointment that has tried to, to mess with you, disappointment that's tried to haunt you, disappointment where you believed God for things and they didn't happen the way you thought they were or when you thought they were or they didn't show up like the way you wanted them to. And it's like I felt disappointed. And I feel like what God is doing in your life is he's, he's touching the place of disappointment so that you can still bring forth what God has promised you. So you can still have what God has promised you. And the reason I, heard, I was in worship and I, when I heard the word Gladys, I realized that the, the root word of Gladys is glad. And I feel like God is bringing gladness back into you, right into your center, right into your middle, because it's your middle name, that God is putting gladness into your identity. He's putting gladness into the center of your being, into the center of who you are, that you're a Mary, a Mary Joe gladness. So aim your hands at her. Let's just pray for her. Lord, thank you for Mary Jo, that she is bringing forth something amazing, something powerful, and that no disappointment's going to stop her, no disappointment's going to hold her back, and that you would invade her life with more gladness than she can handle, way more gladness than she can handle. Just shove it in there, God. Shove the gladness into her life, just like you stuck glad Gladys in her name. Oh, we pray that you would be the most glad person in this building. That you would be the most glad person in this building. That there'd be a competition of who could be more glad than, glad than Mary Jo Gladys. That you would have people trying to be as glad as you. That's what we pray for your life. Now, here's what we want to do. We just, I just want to pray quickly for people who need their feet washed. They're, I'm not going to wash your feet. Jesus is going to wash your feet, and he's just going to handle it, and he's going to clean off stuff. So if you, if during my message, whatever, like, come on, we all have this at some point in our life, most of us at least. Um, if you're like, dang, I've been worried. Dang, I've been playing God. Dang, I've been carrying around things that I shouldn't be carrying. Dang, I forgot how cared for I am, and I'm carrying around all these cares. Or, oh my goodness, I'm carrying my past seasons, and I need Jesus to wash them off because I don't want any worry in my life. I don't want any of the past stuff in my life, and I want to be totally clean from it, and I want to be totally gone, and I want no place for the devil to get me. If that's you, I want you to stand up really quick. And I actually want you to come down to the front. I want you to come down to the front. 